Welcome and welcome everybody back to a new episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether it be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I am your host, Rohan Patel, and joining me today are my regular co-hosts, Natalia Owen and Cynthia Lee. How are y'all doing? Good. <laughs> Too good. That's that's always good. Um, yeah. Any 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 new things you've tried in the past week or so? That's my question of the day, or the new question of the month. We tried like tried what like food. anything, food, movies, Ooh, I tried, books. Like, this, this Korean like shaved ice thing, and it was like flavored black sesame and red bean. It was so good. Ooh, that does Ooh. sound good. Are you a red bean fan? Then I'm assuming. Like, no, not usually, but I just wanted to see, I didn't know what it was going to taste like in that, you know, shaved ice and ice cream form. So turns out pretty good. Red bean My household is a strict no red bean place. What? All of us, all of us do not like it. Like the, that's, what, that's what bonds me and my three roommates is our collective hate of red beans. So that's honestly why we're together. Otherwise we'd probably split apart. Yeah. Yeah, cool. That's good to hear that you're all doing good. Um, so for the listeners that are uh, listening out there, uh, as you may know from our previous pods, we are currently on summer hiatus. So we don't have really new members coming on the podcast as, as of the moment. But instead, we are going through trilogies of movies based off of studios or filmmakers. And so today we are covering the third and the final film in our current to Michael Powell and Emmett Pressburger trilogy, which is The Red Shoes from 1948. Um, Yes, fantastic film, in my opinion, and hopefully in both of yours as well. Before we get into any thoughts on the film, I just wanted to provide a brief plot synopsis of what what happened in there. So yeah, don't worry, it'll be brief, I promise. Cynthia has like a worried look on her face, I don't know why, but... No, because I I thought you asked, you were going to ask one of us because like I kind of zoned out for like a good two seconds <laughs> I didn't like so I was like wait do I have to give a plot synopsis but no yeah, I, now I'm keeping you, everything back together <laughs> <laughs> all right if you want to you feel either of you feel free to take it but you know, when I was host my prerogative was to always give it off to someone else so Fair enough. I will. I will take. I'll take on the responsibility then. All right. So the film starts with a music student Julian and unknown dancer Vicky Page, attending a performance of the ballet Lermontov uh, company. Uh, Julian is there to hear the music from his professor at school, while Vicky attends with her aristocratic aunt to hopefully meet the company impresario uh, Boris Lermontov. Uh, during the performance, Julian recognizes that the music that is played during the opera is, or during the ballet slash opera is his professor's, or is his own, sorry, um, and rushes out in anger. And after the performance, Vicky talks with Boris, um, who invites her to a rehearsal with the company. And then the following day, Julian writes to Boris um, in a letter explaining the plagiarism that um, he believes has happened, but quickly goes back to Boris's house to retrieve the letter out of regret. Unknowingly, Boris has already read it and asked Julian to play some of the music. And after doing so, Julie, uh, Boris hires him to uh, become the new coach of the orchestra. So Vicky and Julian arrive to their first rehearsal on the same day. 
uh, Biggie ends up performing a matinee showing of the Swan Lake and uh, afterwards Forrest recognizes her potential and invites her to uh, be part of the company's performances in Paris and Monte Carlo. In doing so, Boris decides to make her the lead of a new opera or a new ballet, the Ballet of the Red Shoes, um, which Julian is responsible for making music for. There's a prolonged 17-minute sequence of the ballet, which is absolutely stunning, in my opinion. Hopefully, we can talk about it later, but um, the success of that uh, was great, and during that time it was being performed, Vicky and Julian end up falling in love. Boris resents that relationship, the, having his own ambitions and feelings towards Vicky. And in turn, he fires Julian from the company and Vicky also leaves the company with him. It, as we approach the end, Vicky ends up returning back to, I believe, Paris or Monte Carlo, wherever it is um, that Boris is. And Boris ends up meeting her in the train that she's traveling to, with or traveling on. He convinces her to return back to the company for more dancing, more dances. Um, on the opening night of the reprise of the Red Shoes uh, Ballet, Julian shows up in Vicky's dressing room, having abandoned his, the premiere of his own opera at the same time, and tries to convince her to leave with him to go back and um, live their life away from the company. Boris appears in the dressing room, and the two give her an ultimatum of choosing to go with either man, that is, going to pursue her own dreams and dancing, or going to pursue her love. Um, Vicky, uh, in a really heart-wrenching scene, chooses to go with Boris to dance. Julian departs in turn to the railway station, but just before the ballet begins, Vicky runs outside and onto the train and jumps onto the train tracks. And afterwards, Boris announces that the ballet of the Red Shoes will still be performed, but the entire performance is uh, shining a spotlight upon nothing. And as Vicky bleeds to death, in the very end, Julian takes off her red shoes at her request, and the final shot shows the red shoes in the ballet performance on stage. So that's a brief synopsis of the red shoes, which is a lot. It's a it's a film with I think a lot to talk about. And my opening question to y'all would be: Are you like I don't know your experience with like the backstage musical sort of like? genre but do either of you like this sort of like backstage of broadways or do you just have a fascination with plays because i wish i could see more plays but movies like this ultimately become like my way into most plays because i'm not really an avid goer even though i love them so i wanted to know what y'all thought of just like this genre of films i haven't seen that many backstage musicals i think the only one i've seen is 42nd Street. So I can't per se like say that I'm a huge fan. Now I really liked 42nd Street and I really liked this movie. So I guess I could say I'm kind of a fan of the backstage musical. I do like the concept of seeing the actual play or concept after all like the shenanigans we've seen like all the shenanigans that led to it, I guess. And yeah, that's kind of my view on that in terms of like plays theater or ballets I mean I'd like to say I like them but I also have not seen any because they are really expensive and yeah that is I agree the cost is a thing for me too Natalia what about you yeah I would have to pretty much say a similar thing I haven't seen a lot of backstage movies but I've gone to a lot of ballets um like in person because I did ballet 
um, a while ago. And so I really loved, and I love ballet movies, especially when they show kind of the backstage and how the different components all, you know, coalesce and form this beautiful thing at the end. So I really loved more than anything, the kind of backstage in the studio where it showed them practicing and rehearsing choreographing and stuff like that and then the actual like 15 minute ballet sequence which was great (laughs) so yeah I definitely appreciated the heavy heavy ballet production that went into this I I just love the process of them showing everything I think it's really well filmed but also just like I am enthralled anytime is there's dancing or music that I'm hearing and Honestly, like that immersion is something that I've gotten from a couple of plays, but I think that they sort of capture that essence. I don't know if that, if Natalia, you would agree with that sort of enthralling nature of just like watching a live performance. Cause there have been many times in films where not to name cats, but cats uh, can be, ter- oh, no. can film music sequences very horribly. And I just, completely lose track of the story and I just find everything sort of comically ridiculous so I don't know I I thought it was really well done and I think that whole process of seeing things I just enjoyed it so 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 much I mean in regards to the 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 15 minute ballet sequence I mean it does have the advantage that it is being filmed and Paul and Pressburger had I think just from the previous two films alone are very interested in film as a medium and what you can do exclusively on film and I think that ballet sequence although very impressive in terms of its choreography and blocking is also very helped by the fact that they are like layering or they're doing like double exposures to kind of mesh the reality of the play with the people's realities and kind of emphasizing kind of the theme of art blending into life in general but I mean I guess because you mentioned cats I think the biggest issue with cats is like yeah it's as you said not shot well and so there's like a lot of space that it makes it feel very empty we're here it they do such a good job of like focusing on um the ballerina herself rather than trying to encapture everyone and by doing that I feel like it makes it more better I don't want to compare this movie to Cats though because Cats is awful and boring surprisingly boring um so yeah I agree I don't want to compare it but that's the first thing whenever I hear of terrible musicals it's always the first thing that comes to mind unfortunately hey Lee Miz is like a special kind of bad as well but like oh, both Tom <laughs> but, but, but yeah that, that yeah I don't want to get into a Tom Hooper conversation because that's just going to make me very angry at too early in the day. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because like that performance, the way it's shot is like at first it's from such a distance that like you feel as if you're part of the audience, but then it slowly brings you in. And I think one of the reasons that I was also just completely captured by the performances, the, the ballet performances was because of that interiority, the subjectivity of everything like I felt sort of the emotions of the ballet rather than it just being sort of a setting I felt like it was actually like a, another story within the story and I felt really just like moved by the movement and I also want to like the frame not only is the focus good but like the framing of everything is just so exciting the movement of the the, the choreography in line with the 
movement of the camera, which is very rare, but only I noticed in mostly the mostly the ballet movements, I thought made it just a completely different thing in the film altogether. And I think it was really, really well done. Yeah, I, I also really liked how it kind of switched perspectives. So specifically when um, there was a dance happening. So I'm thinking specifically about Swan Lake when um, Vicky's dancing and when she's turning, then the camera quickly turns and you kind of see what's happening from her perspective while she's dancing. And then it lands on, um, you know, Boris at the end when she kind of poses. And that was just, I hadn't seen that before, especially in the kind of these early films. So I thought that was kind of disorienting because you switched kind of perspectives very quickly from the audience to Vicky, but it just kind of drew you into the story even more. Perspective, I think, is personally such a big part of this specific film, who sort of you're siding with in terms of like the the ultimatum that's given at the end and the decision and who ultimately Powell and Pressburger decide is sort of the important thing at the end, which I think is a whole conversation about the red shoes itself, um, which I think the whole story of the tale, I think is really well incorporated into that. And we can probably talk about it later. I think also another thing I wanted to point out was I know we've said this pretty much every conversation that we've had about like production design and costume design, but I think here somehow they topped what they've done in like a matter of life and death and black narcissists um, into something that I think is just so beautiful. Not not just like the, the, the clear obvious thing is like the ballet, specifically the Red Shoes Ballet of like the different locations that are used to like sort of tell this cohesive story, even though like in a play that's kind of unrealistic for settings to change that instantly but the also the the grand sort of rooms that these people are in the sort of the space that there is in the rooms I think is really well done yeah I don't know if either of you had any thoughts sort of about that but I personally loved it a lot I don't know if this is gonna be a hot take but I think the ballet sequences of the production design are like gorgeous they they I, I I didn't even know I literally like yelled my at my tv like fuck when those were going on but <laughs> there were some where it was like I mean I think in all the films they are it's kind of blatantly obvious it's like a canvas painting but it doesn't necessarily distract me in terms of like oh that's fake it, I'm more than turn into the reaction of oh my god this is gorgeous um so it doesn't really matter to me but there were some backgrounds that I felt were could have been better I guess even I can't say anything because like I'm not a production designer and the stuff they're doing is much better but in terms of like I think the one I am thinking of specifically is I think there it's Monte Carlo and it's the, at the night time and it's Vicky and Julian they're like kind of flirting right after she learns that she's gonna be the star of the Red Shoes I know what you're talking about. I, yeah. I, I know exactly. I was like, wow, I can really tell it's a soundstage in not a good way. I think, I don't know, Black Narcissist was just on another level in terms of its scope that I felt like the Red Shoes was a little bit of a step back, but it was still beautiful. Just in terms of the other two films, I thought 
it was less impressive, even though it's still impressive. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you're talking about with like the blue that kind of looked like, I was like, am I looking at the sky or am I looking at the ocean? And then there's like a train track that comes by and they'll see yeah. that one. Like, where is this background going? And I was I was also confused by that genuinely. But I don't know, I, I don't think it too much pulled me away from it. Well, I think it, I think that was probably the one instance that I can remember. But personally, I just, like, yeah, I I definitely wouldn't want to say it's like bad because it was still really good. It was just like it was the first time in one of these Paul and Pressburger films where I, I like saw the background and I wasn't necessarily like I I I could see through the facade in a more negative way, um, than rather being like enveloped by its grandness and detail. That's fair. all. <laughs> fair. Yeah, fair. It definitely doesn't have a lot of great um, shots of the outside, you know, of nature. Like, nature's in a big part of this movie, as it was in, well, maybe in A Matter of Life and Death, it wasn't that big either. Well, no, it was, actually. Mm-hmm. There were some pretty cool shots. Um, yeah, I guess this was a much more introspective um, and much more confined to, like, the stage and then backstage, which made sense. So I guess I wasn't expecting a lot of great I mean this is my second time watching it so I already kind of knew what to expect but (laughs) I was just looking forward to the really gorgeous kind of choreography and then like set designs within the movie like the stage design and then the the whole dance sequence yeah that's interesting I I didn't know this I think you did say in the previous podcast second time was there anything that you saw kind of differently on the second watch I mean I just uh, actually after watching Black Narcissus I did notice the kind of common trend that Powell and Pressburger do where they have kind of a really pale face and then they have sweat coming down. I just noticed that. I definitely noticed that. Yeah, I guess the second thing that I noticed was um, they, I was surprised by how equally the time was distributed between kind of the three main characters because I remember I thought it was pretty much just focused on Vicky. That's what I remembered from the first time watching it. And then the second time I was like, oh, there's actually a lot of like Boris gets a lot of screen time like on his own so we can kind of see what he's thinking and what his introspection looks like rather than just fo- focusing on Vicky or Julian as kind of the main you know heroes of the movie. Yeah and I remember in our last pod we talked about sort of how Black Narcissus kind of spreads itself too thin in terms of its focus mm-hmm. and so I, I think Alan Pressburger kind of learned from that and sort of refocused it on these three characters, which I, I thought was a great move because um, that triangle between the three and the dynamics are ultimately what makes the ending so fulfilling for me. No, yeah, yeah. I agreed on that. The dynamics of this film, on a surface level of itself, it's so like fucked and complicated and it's very just interesting to think about, but also like on a meta level in terms of like a director and their star um, and the idea of muses is also um, very interesting if we wanted to talk about that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's that's an interesting theme for me is sort of muses and the sort of artistic struggle. And this is definitely a movie about movies even though it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily about movies the scene that i'd point to is right before the red ballet where julian there's a sort of interaction with julian and vicky while she's dancing where julian's just like no you have to go to my beat and she's like i can't dance that fast and it's sort of it, it totally reminded me of like a director sort of directing somebody an actor to do something and the actor's like i can't go there and the, and then Julian comes back to the next scene and he's like no you do it I'll follow you and sort of that interplay I think 
sets up what I think is like the biggest theme of this, which is sort of artistic struggle and then and obsession and sort of the sacrifices you need to make in order to further one's career versus one's work life, or sorry, one's got work life. I'm so used work to business life terms. Work life balance. <laughs> oh my God, I, I need to get out of my major. Um, but yeah, I think that was probably the biggest theme for me. Uh, I don't know if we start a discussion there, but I don't know if, well, if you picked up on any of that or if there's something different that you saw that was sort of the bigger aspect of the film. I, I like that scene too, especially because Boris was laughing during that scene and him being kind of the director of all of this, all of the production going on just kind of gives like a meta view, like at, almost as if he's viewing his own kind of struggle to put everything on and make sure everything's perfect. Yeah, that's what I remember of that scene, just him laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I like love these types of movies. Any movie about movies, like, please sign me up, even if it's like not what it's in. I feel like Powell and Pressburger are like on purpose commenting on art. So movies are within art. So yeah, I'm just gonna roll with that. No, I just love, I don't know, there's something so interesting about like seeing passion and ambition and then kind of trying to articulate how to balance that with life and I guess in this case it's mainly love but in you know in other ways of life it's like life it's kind of like the work-life balance thing <laughs> um, of like trying to articulate what is healthy and what we should do for passion I don't know I know there's I yeah I was gonna make a joke but I don't think it would land. But anyway, um, <laughs> um but yeah. what is it? No, I want to hear it. Okay. I was just gonna relate this to like on dating apps, you know how everyone is like, oh my God, like I love people who I like seeing people talk about their passions. That's always an answer I see on a dating app. And I'm like, bullshit. That's awesome. <laughs> I've seen like 30 people say that. No. Anyways, I was just gonna make a joke about how about that but like seriously I do like seeing people do their passions <laughs> so I'm being hypocritical I guess but <laughs> sorry that was so messy I don't even know how where the punchline was but anyway but yeah I just I don't know there's something so intoxicating about watching Vicky dance and kind of struggle with like really wanting to be the best and her love for Julianne and I think Powell and Pressburger do kind of a really wonderful job of balancing the intense intensity of both intimacy and, and dance. I think dance in general is very something I, I enjoy watching a lot, like performances, especially in the context of like the Red of the Red Shoes musical, it was kind of like a breakthrough. Of, but like, yeah, for um Vicky and it the beauty and passion displayed is something just I find so intoxicating to watch um and yeah I don't know if that made any coherent sense after I made that dumb joke oh no it made sense and yeah. definitely when we edit this this is gonna it's gonna sound so smooth you're gonna think you're a stand-up comedian for sure Wow, um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just watched Hacks, so I'm very, being really inspired right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, oh, sorry, you, you go ahead. I was just going to add real quick, but I also really loved how they added kind of the theme of, or, or the dilemma that she can't do both. So she can't 
like fully 100% commit to being a dancer and be the best and kind of like fulfill her maximum potential in that arena. And then also kind of spend her life with Julian and then commit 100% to that. So it's very interesting to me that, um, yeah, I just like when that's the theme in a movie where you kind of have to give 100% of yourself to one thing to be the best at it. You can't have it all, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the the line for me that stands out is at the beginning, like when Boris is a bit hesitant to stop making, meeting Vicky. And he's like, oh, why do you want to dance? And she's like, why do you want to live? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's commitment right there. And I was it, it hit me right there. I'm like, that's that's what any passion sort of is. It's unexplainable because like, why, why do you want to live? It's a very complex question with pretty much no answer other than I want to live and like be happy and many things. But yeah, I, I and sort of as it goes along, sort of the introduction of Julian as like this thing that it's not distracting her. I think that's another thing for me is like, Julian isn't necessarily distracting her from dancing, but sort of their their romance is sort of pushing her to a different level. And she keeps going and going and it's Boris who ultimately detracts her from her career. And I, I thought that was a pretty sweet message about sort of the intimacy and sort of how you translate feelings into performance. I, yeah, you just mentioned that like the line that I think it just got, it, it, it's the line I thought about the whole time when I was watching this film where it's like, where she asks like, uh, where he asks like, why do you dance? And she's like, oh, well, why, why do you live? It's like living essentially. Um, I don't remember the quote hundred percent because I, I'm scattered brain today and I just watched this movie like five hours ago but it's okay um oh <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I yeah I just I, I it's it works so well with kind of the meta-ness of this movie in general because the movie's called the red shoes the ballet they're putting on is the red shoes they in the ballet she dies because she can't dance anymore in the same vein of the movie she dies but she can't dance anymore so she took the red shoes are off because she's dead and yeah and I don't know it it was just like such an interesting dilemma in terms of like anything that anyone loves right like if you want to be a hundred percent good at what you do do how much of your life do you give up or put into that and I think it's I don't know I feel like anyone who has like an ounce of ambition for something can relate to kind of that level of commitment um, and dedication. And I find that very just powerful, but also sad and tragic just because like in our world, you see like athletes or like singers dedicate themselves so much for something that they love. And then they end in a very tragic ending just because like how much they are dedicated to that and how much pressure they put themselves on and there's like two different kinds of like dedication as you guys mentioned like Boris is obviously the one that leads to her downfall even though he blames this idea notion of love and I think in both of the previous Powell and Pressburger films you know the idea of love in life in the matter of life and death it's like oh love conquers all and black narcissist love is kind of equated with like horniness (laughs) (laughs) where like in here love is kind of in in between I guess not necessarily horniness but like obviously Boris loves 
Vicky, but it, I think it translates more into a jealousy that's unhealthy. So that can be like one view of unhealthy love where like Julian and Vicky, I don't know if their love is healthy because I find Julian kind of a little toxic, but <laughs> you know, the, the way they were getting along in the beginning before Boris tells her that she just can't dance anymore for him at least um that's more of a quote-unquote healthier love I guess and so yeah I think there is kind of a commentary on that as well I don't know if that rang with any of you two I think it's interesting because for me I think Boris comes out of a place of own resentment for his life because mm-hmm. the moments that he's alone it's like he sits yeah. in his room and he's dark and he's alone and he's just Have like you- ruminating have you seen the movie Martin Eden? I have not. Oh, okay. It's this like Italian movie based on um, the, the, the Steinbeck novel. I think of the same name. I don't know if it's called Martin Eden. Don't think so. Anyways, um, there's this just one shot of him in that movie in Martin Eden where he's like pale as fuck, but he's like very lonely and his like opulent rule. And the whole notion is like, this man became very lonely in his life. And it reminded me of all the shots where they display Boris by himself and his like chase seating or his like desk being all alone kind of invokes kind of the same sadness. Um, I guess it, this com- analogy is not working because none of you guys have seen Martin Eden. But um, yeah, I totally agree, Rohan. I think Powell and Pressburger, every time they shoot him by himself there's always this invocation of loneliness and I think that really emphasizes like where he's coming from and kind of the also possibly like suggesting that like loneliness I don't know like do you need to be lonely to do art I don't think so but he's obviously very successful at it in the film yeah it's interesting because for me, it's like, for me, like one way you could see it is like, oh, like Boris, Boris, the, the, the person in power in this scenario, he's the one that's lonely. And because he's lonely, he must think everybody, in order to be a true artist, you must be lonely and you must sacrifice everything. I, I think that's a very strong question because it's like, so who, is it people that's perpetuating this or is, it, or is there an actual need to like sacrifice a part of your humanity with your social connection? in order to like be a true performer. I think that's a that's a that's a theme that you know you see many films. Every time we think we're talking, I just think of Whiplash. Like this is like literally the theme of Whiplash, yeah. another great film. But yeah, uh Natalia, I don't know if you had any thoughts about this either. Um, yeah, well, one really quick thing that you just reminded me of you said Whiplash and then immediately I thought of Black Swan and then that reminded me they use kind of the same camera trick where she's turning in the camera flips anyway um yeah it takes if you see this movie it takes some of the novelty out of black swan but that's a side that's a digression so um uh yeah like i think black swan's much more internal this is much more external in a way Um, yeah yeah yeah. but i think it like yeah, it kind of, there's similar. Oh, no. This movie is better than Black Swan, don't get me wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> like similar, you know, they're both, they want to be the best. And if they want to be the best, then they just have to focus on this and kind of abandon everything else. But anyway, yeah, I think it's also interesting that, like, you mentioned um, to show how an artist might need to give up their life for their passion. But then 
I'm kind of reminded of that quote where she's, you know, she's asked, why do you want to dance? And she says, why do you want to live? So doing her passion dancing is her life. So if she wasn't pursuing that hundred percent, she almost wouldn't be living. So it's an interesting, like, I guess that's just an interesting, another way of viewing it that I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. And I think that's kind of emphasized when they're um, in that room together, when they've separated from Boris, both Julian and Vicky, and then they're in that bedroom together. And then um, she like frantically like goes into her cabinet dresser and like pulls out the uh, um, ballet shoes and then puts them back and then quote unquote comforts Julian at the piano. But yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you what you said about that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I I didn't want to talk about that ending scene and sort of like whether or not I think there's a there's a certain ambiguity as to it because like I didn't really see her killing herself as like an option for her necessarily in that in that situation. And I think the way they shoot sort of her leaving the 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 opera house and jumping onto the tracks, it's from the the feet perspective. And so for those that don't know, I, I don't think I covered this in the plot, but essentially. Um, this is loosely based off of the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, where um, essentially this dancer puts on red shoes, and the shoes convinces this dancer to 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 dance and dance for the rest of their lives until they essentially pass away. And so there's a certain element of uh, as there's like a locus of control that's outside of her desires almost in the way they shoot it where it's like you know dancing isn't really a choice she has it's something that she has to do and it's something that at the peak of her heights at the peak of her potential it's like she can't run away from it and if she does I don't know Cynthia you look like you have a point about the ending no no I don't have a point okay (laughs) well quick question on the um, ending because of the ambiguity which side do you fall on in terms of the ending do you think it's the red shoes that caused her to kill herself they're magical actually did she kill herself because she just is like stuck in this nomad's land of like i can't dance but then i can't love so you have nothing it's interesting i was i was trying to i was i was trying to sorry i was trying to vamp as much as i can so i could come up with an answer because i still don't really know um but I I think personally I, I subscribe to her killing herself um, just because like I made the stupid comparison of saying that this movie is more external than it is internal but this film is extremely internal and I don't know why I said that um, but like I think for me personally like I find it much more tragic and much more of a commentary on art and life and how the two interact if it is her killing herself because I did see I don't think I saw that necessarily as a possibility but when she did it I was like oh yeah that that would make sense (laughs) (laughs) I guess in this very heightened world hopefully you don't commit suicide ever but it's much more affecting if I choose to believe that she did it on purpose and not like this weird mythical red shoes killing herself killing her yeah I definitely agree that it's a much more poignant ending to the film if it's kind of her intention it's kind of this internal struggle and indecision that made her basically give it all up but um I really like the ambiguity that is seen in this film and also the last two films I just love how they they never really answer it 
um, it doesn't lean one way or the other too much. Like you could make a pretty good argument for both, maybe less so in the red shoes, but still, um, they shoot it in a way where it does actually look like the, the shoes are guiding her instead of, and she looks surprised and she kind of looks like she's resisting the shoes a bit, but so I just love that ambiguity. Um, and it also is interesting. I just thought of this, that it's the red shoes or herself, but her in the red shoes that make her kill herself. So then I'm thinking, well, if her life was dancing, then why would the red shoes lead to her demise? You know what I'm saying? Like it's a kind of direct contradiction, but like in the big sense, practically it makes sense why she, um, you know, jumped in front of the train. But would you say that maybe her, she initially had to, because she says that line in the beginning of the film of like, my life is dancing, but as like a human being and all the impulses that we have, like gradually as the film progresses, her what she like starts to maybe realize that that maybe her whole life isn't dancing. I mean, it seems like she's like dancing over Julian. Yeah. <laughs> Which you go, I think Julian is a little um, toxic and manipulative himself, especially, I hated the thing. I mean, I get it because it's like the 40s. But I hated the thing where he was like, well, I gave it up. So now you should give it up. Um, that seems like some weird, like toxic, like relationship thing. of Like I gave up so much stuff, so you should too. But anyways, it, it called for a really dramatic um, ending, which I liked, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because as, as you guys are talking about it, I, I'm, I'm thinking more, I am leaning towards it was her decision, but I think sort of the, the 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 fact that they introduce the myth that they base it around the myth sort of like adds this sort of aura of like not necessarily that it was predetermined that she was going to die, but like the fact that she put on the shoes and she kept she had to keep dancing in order to keep living, sort of. I um I I, I leaving the story. I don't know. And I, I think uh, the most powerful thing for me is like the, the last scene with her, she asks Julian to take her shoes off. Mm-hmm. Maybe as sort of like a, I don't know if it's a point of regret of like, maybe I shouldn't have taken up dancing. Maybe it's like, oh, I've completed what I've needed to complete. I don't know. What it, do, do you have any thoughts on the, 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 that final scene on the train tracks while she's getting to death? Well, if she did survive, which, at that point, she like is talking, so I was like, "How the fuck are you still alive? <laughs> like, done?" Uh, but like, my thing, I just felt like it was like, "Well, she can't dance anymore, so take them off as like kind of a symbol of like, yeah, I can't dance anymore. Take the thing that gave me life away, because the thing, or yeah, take off the item that allows me to do the thing." that has led me to live off because I can't do it anymore. Um, that was kind of uh, what I took away from that. And I, I found it kind of tragic just that way. I, I think the most haunting thing for me is that the red shoes at the end of the performance for me sort of signals like somebody's going to take her place. Yeah, no, um, that's definitely what I, yeah, agree. Yeah, and this the circular nature of just like, this the cycle will start all over again. It's a it's a, it's a real tragedy, and I think a very different note than we've seen 
compared to like life and death where it's like that one's a super optimistic ending i think this it, it black narcissist is a little less optimistic and this is a bit bit more less optimistic that was a weird way of saying that i actually thought the film was going to go in that direction when they call up um Irina, is that her name the first the first dancer of um that was under boris um i thought that was where the movie was going because like try to get her back it's almost like oh well let's set up a chance encounter it's almost like well he knows what he's doing he's going to just replace um vicky so that's 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 where I thought it was gonna go initially. Um, but I do, yeah, I totally agree with how because I think the red shoes, the musical itself, it's hard to like separate the two because the whole film is also the music, like a lot of the outside of the musical stuff operates. I think we were talking, yeah, operates in parallel with the red shoes musical itself. So in the musical that. 15 minute ballet sequence when the merchant the shoemaker like shows the shoes almost like okay I'm gonna sell it again that was clear to so when that happens in the ending and like even though it's like juxtaposing it between the musical and the life itself I think I agree with you Rohan it just emphasizes that even more of like the replaceability of the muse and the the um subject that is um possible when you are kind of the director and the creator you can just replace people almost like chess pieces in a way and so yeah I think that that commentary on kind of the power that a director can have was also really just interesting to think about in terms of this film yeah I, I'm laughing to myself because this is the weirdest comparison this reminds me of Fast 6 uh, Fast and Furious 6 where 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 uh, Owen Shaw Luke Evans is like a team is like a machine and you can replace the parts as needed. And the Dom's like, no, family. Oh, and it's like, and uh, I think, I don't know. I don't know why that came into my head, but I'm just I like- I love that yeah. for you. I really do. I, I, I'm happy too. I'm happy that I can enjoy the Dom memes on Twitter now. And the family memes are just great. And I'm now a part of that tradition. So, but yeah, I I agree. I think the, the replaceability of, of people, and I think- the biggest critique on Boris, I know Natalia, you said earlier that Boris reminded you as the director of the opera. I saw him more as like the producer of the opera and like sort of a critique on stu big studios almost if we're going back to the movies on movies thing and how like when we think about the 1940s and the golden age of Hollywood, how like actors, actresses, directors, cinematographers, all of them were just under contract. And once your contract was up and you can just move people from movie to movie and it's less of an artistic free agent sort of system. I think, I think that's a really interesting comparison that you got me thinking about Cynthia, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense too. I guess I just saw him as more of a director because he had such like an investment in Vicky once he saw her potential. So it was very much like, not that she was his muse, but like she was kind of his artistic vehicle to, you know, yeah. show Let's Vicky. say that like, when, um, sorry to cut you off, but I do remember though, when, when Julian says, oh, you're jealous. Um, and he says like, yeah, I'm jealous of her, but not in the way that you think. Um, there's almost that commentary of like, or that questioning of, wait, so like, do you wish you can like produce the art that she does? Cause it almost, that line almost, cause I think Throughout the film, it's like suggested that he's like in love with her or implied, 
but that line in particular kind of changes that narrative where it's like are you in love with her or are you like actually jealous of her talents so yeah I, I can definitely see what you were saying Natalia yeah I'm looking over what I wanted to talk about personally and those were some of the big ones I think we covered everything so I'm wondering is there anything that you either of you want to talk about that perhaps we didn't get a chance to talk about yet I will say actually sorry scratch that one thing I want to talk about it's very brief I think the second biggest star aside from Maura Shearer is calligraphy I love the little pieces of writing that act as like transitions but for like the audience that seemed like super convenient like oh this performance is going on and then we just jump to the performance I I, I don't know I love I, I love those little things um it, it's nice to see handwritten stuff starring in like the 1940s just wanted to give a shout out to that I don't know if you want to give any shout outs of any like particular parts I did wanted to I think uh, we've talked about I don't know if we've talked about it but like the idea of authorship also I think is kind of interesting especially with the Julian character and how he becomes involved in everything in the beginning um just like how he notices that his teacher ripped him off um and created a ballet with his music it's kind of interesting because Julian would all even though he ends up like creating the red shoes and creating more music for Boris I wonder if kind of his avenue of like fulfillment is that he will never be detached away from Boris and kind of the idea of who owns what I think it you could translate that back to your studio system analogy, Rohan, of like the direct who who in, in a movie or in general, I think not studio system, but maybe like movies in general, like in a movie, who gets to say who's the author of it? Like you have you have so many moving parts within a production of a movie. Like you have the writer, the director, production design, actor, actress, blah, 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 blah. Who owns what, you know? Um, and then to kind of add on to another, like in a world where everything kind of is influenced from one another from, I think it's like a big problem with like the music industry right now where it's just like, okay, so so what you're influenced by Nirvana? Do you have to like say they're like a co-writer of it or something like that, you know? So um, kind of the idea of authorship I found kind of interesting in the beginning. I think they don't really talk about, care about it too much at the end, but I think at least the way Julian enters the picture of this movie, I think um, there's like something interesting to be said about authorship, especially when Boris says the line, like, it should be, you should feel like the person who stole should is probably going to feel worse than the person who got stolen from, you know, because then it's just like, well, the whole, I, whole thing about originality as well in our world, like, can you actually be original anymore? very existential in the way I don't know yeah. if that made any sense oh no 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 that made sense I, I'm just thinking like that first encounter between or the first interaction between Boris and Julian in Boris's like house or whatever um it, it feels much more like the initial spur to hire him was based more off of like protection and reputation rather than actual the actual talent of Julian because that mm -hmm. clearly like he's just he's like oh play me something and then Boris just eats his dinner or not dinner breakfast and seems just very disinterested and Julian just storms off and he's like well good day to you sir and he's like walks away um and then there's like this spur of the moment oh 
you want to be the coach of this, even though you stop like halfway through your quote unquote audition or whatever, it feels a bit artificial. And I think going back to that idea of like, you can replace parts in a team. I think it's just like, family. yeah, family. Boris doesn't really see Julian as sort of, he, he sees some potential, but I think personally, but I think it's more just like, let's get him on here and then we'll fire him if he's not any good or something like that. And if he happens to be good, you know, you, you protect yourself either way from like something in the news saying, oh, this was plagiarized off of a music student or whatever. And then like the ballet company just loses sales or whatever. Maybe that's a bit pessimistic, but I, I personally think that's that was my interpretation of the first thing and sort of the events of like, everything else that means of struggle, love, everything else just sort of follows that. But I think in and of itself, that was my interpretation of like, authorship is like essentially just, Boris is the one with the reputation, Boris is kind of the one with the money, um, and therefore he gets to decide everything essentially, um, which is a bit wrong. And I, I think Paul and Pressburger also kind of side with that interpretation perhaps, but yeah. Natalia, did you have any? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember the name of his, you know, his assistant is the older one, Sven or something like that. I mean, I think all of them acknowledge he's really talented at the end, but I feel like, wow, I'm blanking on name right now. Boris, like, refuses to acknowledge it, but there seems to be this, like, lingering sense that he does know that Julian is talented. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's like, you know, there's a pride factor where he doesn't want to rehire them. Um, but there's also a scene, I think, in the second half where he talks about, well, we can still use the Red Shoes music without paying him royalties yeah. because something in the contract like gave all the ownership to Boris or something or the Lament of Ballet in general. So I think your argument is definitely supported <laughs> in the film. Um, but I think it's mostly Boris's pride. Yes, agreed. Because yeah. then he's like, yeah, but I, I, I still don't want to play the Red Shoes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, I, that was our, that was the second yeah. thing I wanted to do. <laughs> uh, Natalia, did you have anything you wanted to add? Shout out to the color, especially the accents of red. Oh, yes. Not oh, yeah. Not but her hair. And, yeah. then, and then it was just great. And then the yeah. white throughout, it just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was. I that they drew of her, like like the concept drawing for the red shoes. I was like, oh, that's gonna look bad. And then, and then <laughs> I, saw, I was like, oh, that, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like we've said in the past to Jack Carniff, a shout out to the, to, the, to the legend, to the cinematographer and all of these. My mom, literally I was watching this and my mom was like, couldn't be more interested in other things. And then she just looked up and she's like, that's really beautiful red. And that's all she said and then just walked away. I was like, cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a conversation. Cool. Anything anything else from either of you that you wanted to give a shout out to? Any reason why I'm assuming you both would recommend people watch this film? Oh yeah, Any- absolutely. Especially because Moira Shearer is actually a ba- a ballerina, so she yeah. knows how to dance. Um, yes. And act as well, so For great. Sure. So glad I did not like see someone like twist their ankle. That's like the one thing I always get scared of when I'm like watching like ballet or like any dance movie or whatever I'm like oh no no please no like close-up of someone's ankle like twisting they're not healthy I've seen it happen live but distressing (laughs) um cool so before 
before we head out, I, I, I wanted to do our rankings of the Powell and Pressburger yes, trilogy. We, we can't, we, we, we love science, we love objectivity, and we think objectivity is the only interpretation of all art and film. So we're going to compare, I don't know who wants to go first. I've, I've thought of this a bit, but I, oh. I, I, I guess I'll go. Um, my ranking personally is Red Shoes, Life and Death, and then Black Narcissus. I don't know about either of you two. Damn, I guess we're not gonna be original this time. I agree, that's my same ranking. I have Red Shoes, um, Matter of Life and Death, and Black Narcissus. Yeah, I would have to agree. If it was just the last, <laughs> if it was just the last third of Black Narcissus, then it might take it over Matter of Life and Death, but the whole thing, yeah. We already said our ranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. check out the last, last yeah, week's yeah. pod if you wanna hear about the problematic pieces of possibly black narcissists. Um, yeah, so that took shorter than I thought. I thought there was gonna be, but anyway, I, I, I think that's a solid ranking. I'm glad, I'm glad, I think. You know, originality sorry. is not our forte this this time around, I guess. I don't know, I, I mean, the red shoes is like considered their magnum opus, right? That, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you just, yeah, yeah, I, I oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say like, I think there's something kind of kitschy about black, both Black Narcissists and um, The Matter of Life and Death um, that is still here in Red Shoes, but it's much more complicated and more nuanced. And that's why, like, it was very clear cut for me, which is my ranking. I, I feel like um, others, other stuff we've ranked, um, it's been less so. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of clear cut, which is interesting, but. I guess to make clear of what I just said I think uh, the red shoes does not feel like it feels like a modern tale where I feel like I can kind of feel the oldness of um the other two a little more that's what I I guess meant to say that imply fair fair yeah that, that makes sense for sure so yeah I think I think with that that concludes our Powell and Pressburger trilogy three for three on the trilogies this is never going to happen again unless we get to 33 trilogies god i hope we don't but if we oh because we've done three trilogies yes um Uh, um, yeah no so um speaking of trilogies we have one lined up and i would do a drum roll i'll probably insert a drum roll our next trilogy will be on ingmar bergman the Swedish legend who is awesome, in my opinion, from the stuff I've seen so far. We, after considerable deliberation, are going to be doing this in, again, chronological order. We're going to pick some ones that aren't necessarily the ones you think of, maybe, perhaps, when you think of Ingmar Bergman. So first one we're going to be doing next week is Shame, followed by uh, Autumn Sonata, and then we are going to do uh, one, possibly two episodes. We'll see how long it goes, but um, the scenes from A Marriage, the long extended TV miniseries, not the new one that's coming out, but the old one. Um, but yeah, those are going to be our three for our Ingmar Bergman trilogy. So I- yes, You're lining it up with that new scenes from A Marriage. Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. When is that coming out? Uh, I think September. So okay, we, we, we are not. Actually, we might. We might, because we, we do have a backlog of some stuff. So we it will... think of these things. We're like always in the culture. We know we have a poor 
poll on the in a group chat. <laughs> Where yeah. no one votes for Nancy Myers, and I'm not salty about it at all. <laughs> all right, I, Cynthia. Since I, nobody voted, I will vote for Nancy Myers next time we do a trilogy because I do feel like that's a part of my pop culture references that is missing. So I will be happy to do a Nancy Myers trilogy. Okay. Um, yes. Oh, okay. Embrace the white countertops and massive <laughs> kitchens. <laughs> yeah. So um, for those that are interested in finding the red shoes, you can, of course, find this on the Criterion channel on HBO Max. Uh, for those that want to watch Shame, which will be next week's film, um, you can find that also on the Criterion channel. If you liked anything that you've heard here today or are interested in any of our uh, activities that we do here at Film Club, um, you can check us out at UW Film Club on Twitter and Insta, as well as UW Film Club on Facebook. Um, you can check out more of our podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And yeah, I want to thank Natalia and Cynthia for spending about this past hour-ish with me, um, mm-hmm. talking about Howland Pressburger and for both of you for being here for the last two as well. And yeah, I think I'm excited for Bergman next week. So I guess we'll listen to, well, we won't be listening to you. That would be creepy. I guess you'll listen to us next week. So we'll see you there. Bye, y'all.